Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Well, I have to tell you, we've been ramping up our Instagram account, and we went from just over 1,000 downloads a week to 3,000 a week. Corinne, who works for K-Love, which is a huge radio station, she's been helping us, and she's amazing. I just can't believe what she is doing for the show. So if you haven't checked us out on Instagram, we'd love for you to start following us there. The show keeps growing, and I have to thank Eric, who's been producing our shows, He has done a really awesome job as we switch from radio to podcast only. It's been a big transition, and without his help, we could not have done it. But we're so thankful that we are doing this now, and we love the podcast world. Today, I also have to thank Jeremy Enns. He is our editor. He is the podcast king. I'm telling you, he's amazing at editing. He's been editing our shows for two years now. And he has helped our show grow immensely. I mean, I don't know what I would have done without him. He has been a great coach for me. He's encouraged me. I mean, he is a great storyteller himself. And so I'm just thankful for all the connections that the show has made as we try to build the show. And today, I'm excited because Jeremy introduced me to one of his friends. And he said, you have to talk to her. She knows a lot about adoption. And it turns out she is a birth mother and an adoptive mom. So I would say, yeah, she does know a lot about adoption. Cherie Burton is a mom of five. She's an author and an international speaker. She is a former Mrs. Utah. And she's a life coach. She helps women all over in her Stand, Speak, Shine programs. Cherie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on the show because you you do know a lot about adoption and you have experience in more than one position in the triad. You're a birth mom and you're an adoptive mom. So you have so many different angles to look at this and can help our listeners today understand in a deeper way. Let's go back to your life in 1994. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I was a junior in college. I was taking some time off to rethink my major, and I got a job as a living counselor at a behavioral facility for wayward teen boys. Um, and so I actually started dating my supervisor. He was divorced uh, to cut right to the chase. It was a very volatile relationship, and I had actually planned to break up with him and was flying over to be maid of honor at my sister's wedding. And while there in California, uh, I discovered that I was pregnant. And so I was devastated. Um, I was 24 years old and I was almost finished with college. I had all these career plans and I always wanted to be a mother, but at the same time, I realized that I had to be a mother under the right circumstances in order for me to feel like I you know, that I could be the mother I wanted and have the the life for the child that I wanted. So it was really hard. Uh, At one point we were going to get married. Um, He actually didn't really want to be with me. um, And I didn't really want to be with him anymore. We kind of were going to culminate the relationship anyway. So, uh, or terminate it. So anyway, I, I basically went out on my own and I was going to be that single mom at college student statistic and as I started to get a job get my own apartment um, 
I realized that this wasn't feeling right. And my, um, my aunt and uncle actually gave me a book, and it was a story about a girl who was pregnant and chose a family. And I had no idea, this was 1994, this is when open adoption was just barely starting to be a, a, a thing, I guess, or, mm-hmm. or talked about. And I thought, wow, you can do that? I thought, you know, the stories that you would hear at the time were, you know, sayonara, you have a baby and you just, you give your baby up, quote unquote. And I always thought that was, I thought it, I thought it was kind of a heartless thing to do. I didn't really understand the process of adoption, at least from the birth mother's standpoint. There was a girl I went to high school with who got pregnant and um, our senior year she was pregnant and and placed her baby boy, but I just thought, and I, I, I she never saw him again, or, or, you know, it was just kind of in my mind that that's how it worked. So I, this was also like when the internet just barely started going, getting going as well, and uh, I went online to see what I could find, and there wasn't a lot, um, but it just wouldn't leave me alone. How and did so, your, how did your family respond? When you told him you were pregnant? Um, my dad was a cop in San Jose, California, and he did not like the guy that I was dating. Um, so he he was hoping we were going to break up. But it was interesting because my mother just had that mother's intuition. And she I actually called her one day to break the news. And she said to me, she said, are you pregnant? <laughs> no way. So she already, she got, they, they, were, they were supportive of whatever I chose to do, but you know, old school or that generation, you didn't, you didn't do adoption. It was so extreme. And so if, you know, I would, I would have to say it still is. It's very, it's very foreign to the soul of a woman to do that, Mm -hmm. to, to place, you know, flesh of her flesh, bone of her bone, flesh Mm -hmm. of her flesh. Um, But my process was so thought out, so, um, prayerful. And so I basically made a list of pros and cons. I prayed about it. And I knew that I, I knew I needed to move in that direction simply because it wouldn't leave me alone. And I had actually served a mission for my church 18, for 18 months prior to this. And I knew when God was talking to me, I knew when my soul was taking me somewhere. And I knew it was kind of like out of my hands to some degree in the sense that this child, like the universe had plans for this child. And I was just the steward. I was just the vehicle to bring this child to God's plan for this child. That's an interesting point. I want to go back to something you said when you said that women weren't designed to place their babies. And mm -hmm. I remember hearing that for the first time on an interview. Oh, probably, probably two years ago, two and a half years ago, right at the very beginning of the show. And I just had to really process that. Women weren't designed to place their babies. And I think that you're it's so absolutely true. We were designed to get pregnant and raise our children. And so if you think about a parent that chooses to place your child because they can't take care of them or because they believe that they could have a better life um, with another family, that makes you realize how much more difficult it is for that birth mother because that's not the natural design right? That's, that's heartbreaking and that she's going to choose this. That is real love for her baby. And that being said, 
then you also are bringing to light that you're saying, but I felt like this is the destiny for this baby. Isn't that interesting how it can go right. hand in hand? Like it's not supposed to be yeah. like this, but this is the destiny mm-hmm. for this baby. How do you make sense of those two things? Because they're really two different thought processes, right? That one is yeah. this is meant to be this way. And the other is the destiny and the purpose is that I'm supposed to place this baby. Well, I think any kind of motherhood, whether you choose to to parent or adopt or place, any level of motherhood is heartbreaking sacrifice. It's hard. And the reason that placing a baby is so outside of the natural order of things is because when a, if you had a baby and, and the baby passed away, you could bury that baby and you could go to the cemetery and visit the baby and it would be heart-wrenching. And I know people who have lost babies and children and, and it, it's devastating. Um, after I placed my daughter for adoption and there's so, we could talk for hours about that whole process of my, my choice and my pregnancy and the actual placement and how difficult and roller coaster ish it was, you can still have an undercurrent of peace Mm. doing something way outside how you are naturally designed. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like an Abrahamic sacrifice. It was like, um, to use a biblical reference, it was like, you know, Isaac and Abraham, where, um, you know, an angel told Abraham, you you need to kill your son. And he was like devastated, but he, he walked up that mountain with his son, knowing he was going to lose his son. Well, I felt like my whole pregnancy was like that. Because I, I had, there was no denying spiritually that this was the destiny, as you say, or where it was being taken. But I had no idea how hard it was going to be. But at the same time, I had so much peace. And every situation is so unique. Um, you know, I had people saying things to me like, well, you play, you pay, girl. Like, if you're going to be irresponsible enough, I mean, this is the undertone, you know, to get, to bring, you know, to get pregnant and you should take responsibility and you should raise that child. So I had that camp of people. I had people saying they pray, people very close to me saying that they prayed and they got a dream or a impression that I needed to raise this, this girl. Um, and so I ultimately had to drown out every, I mean, my clergy, my family, my parents, um, the only voices I wanted to hear were God's and the babies. That's it. And so I just tuned into that and I realized that, and it's been metaphorical because I'm almost 50 now. That was, you know, almost 25 years ago. And it's been a metaphor I've drawn upon um, most of my life. When a girl, when a girl chooses, and I'm not here to judge any girl who, who was going to place and then changed her mind, because I easily could have done that. And God would have honored that choice, and he would have helped me make that work, and I'm sure she would have had a beautiful life. Um, as with anything we undertake, there's good, better, and best. So there's a good plan, there's a better plan, mm-hmm. and then there's the best. And mm-hmm. we don't see the best one. We see what we want. 
So I always tell people, like, if it was up to me, I would have taken that baby home in a heartbeat from the hospital. If I was just going off my own heart and my own body and and what my um, what felt natural and what felt loving, I would have taken her home. So I just feel like every situation needs to be a very careful plan where the people that are involved in helping that girl make her decision should be guides to bring her to make to go with her own wisdom and to tune into the baby's destiny. I love that we're talking about that word destiny. Um, because really, you 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 change the trajectory of generation mm-hmm. when you parent. And so I look, you know, I ha- I, as I look back on that experience, I'm like, I might be going through something really hard and a lot of people are telling me, oh, do this, oh, you should do that. This is really great. God wants you to do this. This is the right path. But I have to get still, close my eyes, tune in and go, what is the right thing for me? What do I feel? What is, what is, what am I being drawn to do? And it's been a, an amazing learning experience. I, you know, I did, I did end up finding an agency and I chose a family and it was open and it has remained open and I had no idea how open it would be. We, forged our own path, the adoptive parents and I. How did you choose that family? So, so I ultimately had a, I, I brought home um, a folder, not a folder, like a binder of different families and I, I poured over them that I knew the second I saw their picture that they were the ones. And they had a three-year-old who was also that little girl who was adopted and I just felt that my child I was carrying needed to be that girl's sibling. And so I, I basically just knew, I, it's really interesting, as soon as I knew, I called up the director and I'm like, I've chose the family and it was like the next day. She's like, are you sure? She's like, they are actually in the temple right now. They're, let's call them. So we, we well, she said they're probably going to be getting out of the temple in a little bit. It was interesting because I found out later they were actually in the temple praying for a baby. They had felt very strongly they had a child coming. They rushed their paperwork in. Um, and I broke the news to them over the phone when they got back with the adoption agency director on the phone. And how far along were, were you? Crying. I was four months along. Oh, they were very, yeah, they were very humbled. And so we made plans to meet and I told them all about myself, showed them pictures of myself growing up. Um, we forged an instant connection, the adoptive mom and I, Susan, we just, it was like, you found your long lost friend. We had a lot in common. Um, she's quite a bit older than I am. She was, I think she's about eight years older than I am. Maybe even more than that. Um, let me think about that. I think she's 12 years older than me. But anyway, um, I, I just loved her soul, her smile, her, her kindness. Um, I thought this is the kind of woman I would want to be the mother of this child. And and like I said, blinders are kind of on. I don't know if other birth mothers experience this, these kind of things, but at first you literally almost like idolize the, when you choose the adoptive family, mm-hmm. you don't see their flaws and they don't see yours. It's like this honeymoon season where blinders are on. And I think that's a spiritual protection. 
are a gift, a, a temporary spiritual gift that each of you are given just to, just so you'll stick together <laughs> and not like overanalyze things and go, oh, I don't like the way they do that or I don't like this part about them or whatever. In open adoption situations, I've seen that repeatedly over the years. I, um, it's, it's a common thread I see. I have to agree. I think that there's a connection there. And I've heard that a lot, actually, that the birth mothers really feel very close to the adoptive mother, almost like a mother or a mentor. Was she helping you through your pregnancy? No, I wouldn't say that. I was really independent and um, I kind of wanted to keep some emotional distance to some degree, but she was definitely like an older sister figure, I would say. And she was very concerned for my well-being. And I didn't feel that it was because she wanted this baby to be safe or that she just wanted to be nice to me because I was, you know, going to choose her. I think she just, I felt her genuineness. But definitely it was, it was a connection that was very unique in the sense that we just got each other. So that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Yeah. meet someone. It's true. It's like you were, like you said, destined to meet each other and be in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the birth. And you talked to me mm-hmm. a little bit about the grief that you went through as a birth mother. Yes. So I actually ended up having a C-section. And uh, I was in the hospital with her. Well, I had already made this adoption birth plan where I wanted to have my own time with her that was important to me and a lot of people around me were in fear around that like if you get too much time with her you're going to change your mind I was absolutely resolute um however you know altruistic (laughs) you know um all those things aside you know hey this is a spiritually noble thing to do all of that aside I was I was emotionally um, just it, there's no words like it's it's a it's a crushing um, realization when the most precious thing that you've ever experienced in your life to that point the most unconditionally beautiful sacred pure unadulterated just you know incredibly intense pure feelings of love that I hadn't ever experienced in my entire life. And I have to say goodbye to that and to her. And I tried to prepare myself and I had gotten counseling and, uh, you know, just like I felt like there was some kind of a spiritually endowed like gift to, to kind of see the, the doctor parents with rose colored glasses. It was kind of like, that what's that's what started to play out while I was in the hospital um in the sense that it's almost like a lot of those really intense intense emotions were stayed and uh and they were sort of like respected and held in a reverential type of place um at the same time I I I didn't want to hold back the love so I remember when, so my mom was with me in the operating room. She was telling me how beautiful she was and crying. And then I'm crying. 
But I remember that bittersweet feeling. It was like, oh, here she is. And then the next, the very next emotion is, oh, here she is. Like, oh, I can't get too excited, you know. Um, so it's just the whole four days I was with her in the hospital, which it was so roller coaster, but it was so, I felt so sustained in my decision. And so, um, the birth mother, the birth father actually came to the hospital. He'd been very, um, absentee during my pregnancy and he, I had a lot of abandonment feelings around that situation, but he came and he held her and he cried and he begged me to keep her. No way. Um, I mean, that had to have been so hard. Yeah, and he was 28. I was 25 by this time. So it wasn't like we were, you know, teenagers that didn't have means to take care of the child. We both did. But I said, you don't understand. And I remember saying to him, I go, all I ever wanted to be is a mother. And he said, well, then be a mother. And I said, you don't understand. (laughs) You haven't been with me through this whole process. Like, I know this is not my, this is not our child. This is not the child to be raised that we, and interestingly enough, he was adopted, closed adoption. His adoptive mother was abusive. Oh, and no. he always wanted to find his birth mother. And so he had all these issues about adoption. So mm-hmm. he at this point was like begging me. I said, this is a beautiful family. You can go meet them, you know, all of that. And, and this is like, three and a half. This is the night before I placed her. This is like three full days in the hospital at this point. And wait, 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 wait. So, you had the baby for three full days? Yes. Yeah. It was a C-section. That was my plan all along. Were they worried? Were they getting worried? And then the birth father shows up and was the family like, she's going to change her mind? They had no idea what was going on. I, I asked them to respect my time until they showed up with the adoption agency representatives uh, to do all the legalities. They had no idea. Um, wow. I will never forget. Um, so when it, when it was time for me to sign the papers, I was checking out at the hospital at the same time. My mom was there. My mom was crying and crying. I was crying and crying. Um, I was holding the baby, and I knew that the adoptive parents were out in the waiting room. And... So the woman who was kind of the liaison that worked with the agency, she would come back and forth between the waiting room and my hospital room. And she was crying because they were crying. And she's like, they're not even asking about the baby. They're asking, how are you? And that has stuck with me all these years Mm -hmm. because I felt that. I felt that they just honored and I'm not advocating this in every situation. I think I think you made make a good point. Um, emotions are so high when a birth mother is making and trying to prepare herself to say goodbye to her firstborn baby. And there's nothing like that feeling. You're not really dragging your heels. You just want to make sure that that baby. Sorry, I'm gonna get emotional now. That that soul, that baby knows that you love them. That's why the emotions are high because you feel so much love and you want to make sure that that baby does not ever feel abandoned or um, that you didn't want them. 
There's nothing you want more in that moment than to be that baby's mother. There's nothing that you want more or have ever wanted more. And so that that is why you hesitate. That is why. So for me, I end up writing a letter to her in the hospital. And I gave it to the family. And just and there's actually tear marks on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was writing with a pen that smudged. And I love that there's tear marks on it. And I had to capture what I felt because I thought, what is she, what if, I didn't know how open it's going to be. I didn't know how often I was going to see her if I would only get letters or pictures. So I just said, in case there's any doubt in your mind, here's how I feel right now. I'm looking at you. You're in your hospital bassinet, and here's how I'm feeling. That I know I'm not supposed to raise you. And so... I think the healthiest situations are when there's trust. If there's not trust, if I see no situations too, then the not birth mother, it's, the focus should not be the baby ever in those situations. Mm-hmm. There, the focus should be how do we support this woman who is literally giving her all. Mm-hmm. Giving uh, it, it feels like that woman is sacrificing her own life. And to a degree, that's what your body is feeling. Your body wants to nurse the baby. Your body wants to hold the baby. That's how you're programmed. All those instincts kick in, all the postpartum hormones, oxytocin, um, all of those things are being released. And so that's why it goes against the natural order because your body's ready, parent this child, and you're healthy. Right. I remember when I did signed the papers and they came in and we cried and then and then I walked out with my mom and we went to my grandma's and I I literally laid catatonic for about a day and a half I felt really peaceful at first I felt really amazing actually um because I felt that I had done this beautiful thing for this family and I and um, but then, the, again, the hormones and stuff started kicking in. Like I said, my body was like, what did you just do? So many of the things you have said, families need to hear. And I love that you have come on this podcast. I mean, we could just go on forever and ever and talk about it. We have to take a break. When we come back, you're going to talk to us about life after and how you recovered and how you went on to have birth children, adopt children. I mean, you're an amazingly strong woman. You knew who you were even at 24. I really believe that. And you really had a very strong faith to take you through these things in your life. So stay tuned. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Cherie Burton. She's a mom of five. She's an author, an international speaker, a former Mrs. Utah, and now she's a life coach. She helps women all over in her Stand, Speak, Shine programs. Today, she's sharing her journey 
You and I have talked a lot, Cherie, about grief, about birth mother grief, and you've shed some great light today on that. I thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's never an easy thing for me to share, but every time I do, I know like somebody needs to hear it. <laughs> Yes, somebody needs to hear it. I needed to hear it. I mean, it's inspiring to me, helps me love my birth mothers even more and what they did and and the great gift that they gave me with children. One of the things you said to me was in your grief, you felt like God was saying to you that you had to feel it so that you could have compassion on other people. Let's talk about that. So that was my rock bottom um, uh when I said I was catatonic with grief, staying at my grandma's, clutching this baby's hospital blanket and hospital bracelet, smelling them, holding them, sobbing. And I thought I was going to die if it hurt that bad. And so I said to God, like, why would you? Like, what's up with us? I'm just like, I can't do this. This is beyond what I can endure. And the very um, clear message I received was, I have to let you feel this all because you know remember i said i had been sustained and held and like had rose colored glasses on and felt peace and now all of a sudden i want to die and it, it was like i have to let you feel this so you can know and feel this level of compassion you couldn't feel otherwise and i'm paraphrasing it wasn't like i heard words it was just a, an impression of i have to let you feel this so you can have this level of compassion for other women and also um I also had a, a postscript little impression. It was like, I placed my first, firstborn too. I lost my firstborn too. So it was kind of like the God and Christ thing um, and the sacrifice. And so it was a very, it was a very, I look at that experience. And if there are any women who are listening to this who are pregnant, no matter how old or young you are, um, that you develop spiritually through that experience more than almost anything that you go through because it, it is the ultimate test. Uh, it is the ultimate, I want to say test. That's not the right word. The ultimate showing of selflessness, the ultimate showing of selflessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do, you do spiritually mature quite rapidly after that. Not only have you, have you physically like given birth and so you're, you've had that level of body wisdom and whatnot, but then spiritually, if you climb into the lesson of it and you embrace and surrender around what's actually teaching you, instead of just dumping the grief and burying it, um, wow, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I, I actually ran a birth mother support group um, within a year after I placed because I was, I finished my psychology wow. degree, and um, I met another birth mom, and I and she and I did it together, and so we would run these support groups, and and unequivocally, it didn't matter. We had all ages of girls and women, some older women, and the women who climbed into the grief and felt it, and then used it to serve and help, those are the women who phenomenally catapulted mm-hmm. in their. They were blessed. They met their spouses quickly. They they had other children. They stepped into a beautiful career, or they stepped into into a service model that was really meaningful. And they just shone with light 
and goodness and wisdom, just the depth, just so much deeper than girls their age because of that experience. And then I've seen the other side where they're just angry and bitter and like, oh, you know, um, so I've seen both, but I would say most of the birth mothers I've met have a level of depth and maturity that is unlike anything else. So you are one of those birth mothers that went on to meet your husband very quickly. Yeah. And within three months. Wow. Mm-hmm. Within three months, were you thinking, wait, I could have been raising this baby with you? Uh-huh. That must have so been really hard. I actually, <laughs> one of the first bargaining prayers I offered after a place was, okay, God, I did that for you. Now give me kids stat. I want to be a mother's staff. And so I met Jess when she was about three months old. We were only friends for a while. He kept pursuing me. And then we did end up, and it ended up being really open adoption. So I saw her several times when she was a baby. Then when she was about eight months old, it was Christmas time. I took Jeff with me. We were just friends at the time. And um, to see him for a Christmas party. And he said the second he saw me with her, he wanted me to be the mother of his children. He knew that there was something very special. So, yeah, we got married when she was just barely a year old. What's her name? Her name, they named her Wendy after Peter Pan because her last name is Bird. So it was Wendy Bird. And um, after the Peter Pan, Wendy. And her (laughs) middle name is Cherie. So they named her middle name after me. Yeah. That is so awesome. I got pregnant every... Every year and a half. So I had oh my three, gosh. Kids, three kids, boom, boom, boom. And then I went through infertility. Um, and that's a whole story. But I had four miscarriages in a row. It wasn't really infertility as much as it was pregnancy loss. Okay. Um, Jess and I wanted to have more kids after the three that we had. And I just wasn't able to. I kept losing them. And um, so I think the last miscarriage I had was age 42 and then I just kind of gave up but I knew that I had two more children coming um and with as I had a sacred vision that I saw these two children a boy and a girl and they looked just like my other kids so I kept trying to bring them here and it wasn't working wasn't happening and so that launched you into adoption well I didn't I didn't think that I was supposed to adopt them actually um I didn't had never really thought I would adopt. Um, but a girl that I was uh, life coaching found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and she moved into our home. And in the course of living with us, she had a knowing that we were supposed to parent her child. And she lived with us five months of her pregnancy and um, she carried our Eli. So Eli, um, it's a whole story, but I will just say this, like, that child is, um, he is, I, uh, <laughs> it was like I gave birth to him. I'm sure you feel this way about your adoptive kids, April. I mean, there's this little time where you have to bond, but um, because she was with us for pregnancy and lived with us, and then he, like, I helped deliver him and cut the cord and heard his first cry and snuggled into him right away, um, the heartbreak of it. I wanted to give her as the birth mom all the time she needed. So she actually lived in our basement after placing him um, for about a week. And I just let that transition be what it needed to be. Both of us had a lot of peace. She was 28 years old. Um, She's a professional bodybuilder. So is the birth father. And so this child is 
is a big boy. He's he's a strong muscular kid. He's turning six this month. So, but yeah, when he his that whole thing could be a whole book. But let's just say that it was very interesting that he was just served up. And when he came, I was like, "Where's the girl?" Because there's a package deal here. He has a mm-hmm. sister, and I don't know what's going to happen. And and that was a whole other situation where my friend's daughter had a dream. I was in the dream. She was handing a baby over to me in a pink blanket. I chased this birth mother down. She wanted nothing to do with me at first. Kept feeling spiritually compelled to keep chasing her. She lived in a different state. She lived in the Bay Area of California. She was homeless. Um, very precarious situation with the birth father. I kept pursuing. Ended up flying her to our home here in Utah. She still wouldn't think of adoption. She ended up going into labor. Her boyfriend texted me, can you please come? I fly out there. I bond with the baby. I knew it was my daughter. I knew it. They asked me to leave when she's three days old. I go home sobbing. Three weeks later, I get a call. They made place. They, the CPS had taken the baby for abuse and put her into foster care. So she's a little newborn. Um, my husband and I start fighting. We put our we put our kid clothes on and we fight the state of California six court hearings later. I became her foster mom, and four months old, I finally got custody of her with her foster mom, lived in a one-bedroom apartment with her for what was supposed to be six weeks that turned into almost six months, and Eli was two years old at this time. My other kids were um, the 14, 16, and 18, and so we finally, I mean, that situation with that birth mom wasn't very healthy. I had to, I, it was completely opposite of, it was, it was one of those situations I'd referred to earlier about sometimes you, there's not trust. There definitely was not trust in this situation. So we had to close it off. But ultimately, to her credit, this birth mom, she um, disregarded her lawyer's advice to reunify and pled with the court to let us adopt her baby um, wow. on the sixth court hearing. So One of the um, parts that you're this- skipping over is when you went to go live with them and you slept on the floor of their mm-hmm. apartment. I mean, they were not living a great lifestyle, right? There was no food and you slept on the floor. I mean, mm-hmm. something could have happened to you. Somebody could have broken in. You were, went into this dangerous area. That that just blew my mind. Yeah, murder capital of America. Girl, And actually, an 18-year-old girl had been um, murdered two doors down. I was by myself. I didn't tell my dad. He's, he's a retired police officer. He would have. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even tell my husband how dangerous it was. But I was very protected. I knew the death, again, well, that, that word destiny. I knew the destiny of this child was but I was linked into her destiny, and I was fighting like a warrior. I had my shield on. Um, I did sleep on the floor of a dirty apartment. Um, the the boyfriend was not the baby's father, and and he was quite dangerous, actually. And he had threatened my life on several occasions. And he ultimately is why that baby was removed into foster custody. He had abused her as a newborn, and I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. And so I was very bold with him. I said, look, this baby's going to get hurt. You guys are treating her like she's a toddler and you're, you're mocking her. You're throwing her up in the air like she's going to get hurt. And that's why they asked me to leave. So, but yeah, yes, it was very intense. I, I was praying for light and protection around that baby from the second she was born. 
And because they had no other support, they had no shampoo, they had no toilet paper, they had no food, they had no crib. Um, I called my church up and I said, can you bring some stuff over? This baby's not going to make it. They had, they had blocked out all their family. I was all they had. And so I was like the mother figure <laughs> coming in. She was 19. Birth father was 21. Or not birth father, boyfriend. You really do yeah. have so much experience. I mean, because when we're talking before, you're shedding light on this amazing story where you're placing your baby and you're this wonderful birth mother and you have this trusting relationship with this adoptive mom. And we could have just ended there. But now the story that you're talking about, those are my stories. You know, that's the kind of birth mothers that we have in our life where we went right into the messy. There was no trust. There was a lot of lying. There were drugs. There were, it was, it was abusive. I mean, it was so intense that I don't know what it's like to be in a hospital with a birth mother who's, we've had this great relationship. You know, I don't, I wanted that. I I definitely wanted that. But the story you're telling is what we experienced. So you have the, the gritty part of adoption. You have this beautiful part of adoption. You have the trust. You have broken trust. I mean, there's just so much here that we could talk about. And you know what it's like to fight for a child. You know what it's like to be on the other side to place. But you also know what it's like to go in the midst and fight. That's what makes you so amazing. I mean, your story is just... You're just a fighter. You're just loving. You're compassionate. You're trustworthy. But you're also this gritty fighter that will go in and you believe in your faith and you'll go get these children that you believe are yours. And so ultimately you brought her home. How was her attachment? How was her? Sorry, what? How was her? How was her attachment? Well, okay. So she's four now. And it wasn't until she was about three that I fully attached to her. I'm just going to be honest. Like... Um, I think because I didn't get that time with her initially, even though she felt like mine from the beginning, there was that. But there was also this anger that, like, because we had to, I had to be separated from the rest of my family, my other four kids, um, for almost six months just to be in an apartment with her because we couldn't leave the state of California. And so there was a lot of healing that needed to happen with. And then the, all the other, like, Eli was really mad at her, too. <laughs> like, when he was two years old, he's like, you took my mom away. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, so yeah, but she, there was, I will tell you this one experience. So when I, I call, you know, the day that, that I actually got to, like, be her foster mom just was amazing. And I was praising God and I was crying and there was all these emotions. And I, she's four months old. I put her on, I put her on the bed and I looked at her and I'm like, I'm your mom now. You can relax. She was as stiff as a board. She was sucking her thumb as a four month old. Um, her foster mom was amazing, but she also had a meth baby she was caring for at the same time. This county in California had a surplus of, of foster babies. And so foster parents were taking multiples. And so she was high strung, stiff, underweight, um, bags under her eyes, thin, like and so I just looked at her and I'm like, You can relax. I'm with you now. Like we, we did it. <laughs> um, cause I had been on a war path for well over eight or nine months by that point. Mm-hmm. And so we both just were like, okay, we're here. We, we, we did it. Um, but, but to speak to what you said earlier, I mean, what mother wouldn't do that? What mother wouldn't climb into wherever she needed to climb? 
it's that mama bear chemistry, you know, like we'd all do it for mm-hmm. our babies. Um, mine just looks really extreme because it was like I had to go through courts, and I know you've experienced that too, April. It's like this was a really volatile situation. I've seen both sides of it now. And even though Madison, that birth mom, put me through a literal hell of emotion, I can't even tell you. Um, I was this experienced life coach, and there's nothing I pulled out that worked for her. Nothing. And um, she had been wounded. She had been in the foster care system. So, you know, there was all of that. But ultimately, I keep going back to this. If these children end up where they are supposed to be, Hellfire could not keep them from where they need to be. It might look hopeless to the adoptive parent. As it did for me, I was like questioning everything. I thought it was on a wild goose chase that was at a dead end several times. But something just kept me in hope like, hey, it doesn't like all the evidence looks like this is not going to work out, but it is. And so when we finally had that moment when she's four months old and I finally had her and we were just looking at each other and Um, I felt like her soul was like, oh, yeah, this is home. I found you and you found me. And and now her name is Emma. We named her Emma. She is an angel. She is beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes, sits all over the place, talks all the time, really gifted gymnast, actually. She just has gymnastics coaches watching her. She's a natural at it. Um, she sings, she's happy. She drives me crazy too, because I mean, I'm turning 50 and I'm, she's in preschool. So mm-hmm. you can imagine like <laughs> I'm old enough to be her grandmother. Um, interestingly enough, the daughter that I placed for adoption became a grandmother and maybe a grandmother. <laughs> yes. You, you stayed well. in an open adoption and you're close with yeah. her and you were at her wedding. And so you yeah. have relationship with her and you have these beautiful four other children. I mean, it's just really amazing. It's worked out really well. It everything is still, you know, you, there's no manual on any of this stuff. You know, um, there's no manual of being a birth grandma, and this little boy that she has is fiery little redhead, and and we're still we still work that out. But you know what? I keep going back to peace. Everything's peaceful. Everything feels like, you know, again, the outward manifestations may not look perfect. Every family situation is messy. I don't care how holy of a family it is. It's messy. And so whether they're adopted or biological kids, kids and parenting and mothering, it's all messy. Mm-hmm. Creations like that anyway. Um, but there's peace and perspective and Everything's going to be okay in the end, and we all found each other. That's the miracle part of it. That is a miracle. When the, the, the daughter that I placed, she found where she needed to be to grow in her station in life. And, and Eli found his way to me through Jessica, my birth, uh, my coaching client. And Emma found her way to me through a friend's dream, a daughter's dream. And so these children come where they need to go and there's nothing we can do to stop it we just get out of the way and go okay i'll wait (laughs) i'll wait sheree thank you so much for being on the show how can people get a hold of you if they just go to standspeakshine.com or they can just go to my website shereeburton.com i have freebies giveaways i have a retreat coming up 
I'm all about empowering women, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. You can always create yourself. You can always step into your power and find your voice. That's what I'm all about right now. So I lead retreats all over the world. Um, and I just love connecting to women who've been in the trenches in life. So, yeah, they can just find me on my website, shereeburton.com. Thank you so much, Sheree. Thank you, April. I really enjoyed talking about this. It always brings me to a place of like, oh, yeah, this is all for a reason. Yes, yes. We'll have to have you back on because you have so much wisdom about adoption. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.